What's going on, my youths? Or should I say, my brothers and my sisters? Welcome to another new episode of my podcast titled The Truth for Youth. My name is Bintu St. Jean, your host. And today we have ourselves another interesting topic. Our topic today will be none other than black and woke. Have you ever been mistreated? Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever been underappreciated and overworked? Have you ever been called out of your name? Stripped of your identity? Robbed of your dignity? And bribed of your opportunities? If not, well, I know people who have. Not for a month, not for a day, but for 400 years. The black race has faced a brutal history of anything but equality. Every fear that can possibly come to the human mind, the black race has come to experience for 400 years. 400 years does not seem too far according to all of these years. We are mistreated. We are misunderstood. And we are a minority. 400 years of slavery, police brutality, and white supremacy. And besides that, it's 400 years of protesting, of marching in civil rights legislation. Because of the longevity of such oppression, we try to find a reason to justify the injustices, to explain the complexity of a racial injustice maze that we have been put in as a people, mentally, physically, and even spiritually. So much so that many blacks tried to justify it by identifying themselves in a way that would give healing and meaning. It's not enough to us as a people that a change is going to come. Our condition as a people has become so deplorable over the years that nothing less of a spiritual explanation can truly bring healing and meaning to us as a people. Could it be that these 400 gruesome, long years 
were handed down to us by the God Almighty as a punishment? Could it be that 400 years of what we have gone through is a seed that would perhaps breed the next 400 years of freedom and equality at last? Are we a chosen people because we feel that we are the most oppressed? These are the questions that runs through our minds, but finds no finish line in our reasoning. Now, I can't say that we are cursed or that we are blessed because of these 400 years. But I can say that ethnicity has nothing to do with divinity. 400 years of oppression has not elevated us to a God status as a people. We are not chosen as a people. We are chosen as individuals. We are no higher than any other race just because of what we have gone through that they didn't. Yes, the pain is unbearable. The history, brutal. The struggle still continues. But a black man is still a man. Black supremacy can be just as wrong as white supremacy. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being independent as a people. There's nothing wrong with us building and constructing ourselves and standing on our own two feet to provide and support our own. I'm for that. But to divine ourselves as divine to cope with the struggle that we are currently facing and have been facing is too much of a stretch. If indeed we are divine because of our struggle, then our struggle would be our identity. But even we know as a people that what we go through does not define us, but we define what we go through. But no struggle is so severe, so burdensome, that it can lift one race above all, all, all others. Let's be honest, as blacks, not only have we caught hell from other nations and race, but we have even raised hell even among our own people. Last time I checked, it's not NYPD that's rolling down the block, shooting up houses. Neither is it Chicago PD that's doing drive-bys. Our lives, and by lives I mean black lives, are endangered not only the hands of white supremacists, whether they are in uniform, in office, or in lab coats, 
and by lab coats I mean in the medical profession. Did you know that black mothers' lives are endangered in the hands of the American health care system? That black mothers are four times more likely than the other race to suffer from medical conditions after birth or during, most of which are fatal? Just ask Beyonce, ask Serena, mothers who have gone through the horror of delivering a child without the proper immediate medical attention since they are assumed to be more stronger and can handle the pain. Just to bring out a point, our lives are endangered under the hands of a oppressive system and society. But just as our lives are endangered in the hands of this society, our lives are also endangered in the corners of our own streets. If we could be honest with ourselves, there are more of us in our neighborhood than they are any other race, and we still suffer oppression and violence. Apparently, on a global scale, or should I say a national scale, black lives seems to only matter when black lives are endangered under specific circumstances. But if that same life was taken by our own, it doesn't really strike a nerve. We can live with it. Black lives matters. Under any circumstance, it is endangered. By me saying this, I'm not a follower of any movement nor political party whatsoever. I just speak for the oppressed, whoever they are, where they are, whatever the injustice. Most recently, we heard of a young girl who was abducted and killed, not in the hands of Europeans, Germans or Russians or Ku Klux Klan or any racial extremist group, but from her own people in her own native land, the young sister named Evelyn in Haiti. So skin color does not elevate us in any sense as a people. We as a human race are degraded. And we as a race need to be elevated from the heart. It starts from the heart. Slavery began from the heart. Racism began from the heart. Oppression begins from the heart. God is not in the business of overthrowing government powers and national oppression, but he is in the business of overthrowing 
evil hearts, racist tendencies, and prejudice dispositions. Because in all these 400 years, we ask ourselves, where is God in all of this? The truth is, we might be an oppressed people as long as the earth revolves. It has been 400 long years, but those years are only prolonging. Our salvation from a racist system may never come, but our salvation from a racist and prejudiced heart is already here. God is working in the details. The Bible says, guard your heart diligently for out of it are the issues of this life. God is looking at the root of the issue. Government reforms, national protests, social movements has its place in whatever scheme or goal that is trying to be met in the scope of the issue. But it does not strike at the root of the issue. The only person who can strike at the root is the bright and morning star. That's Jesus. When Jesus walked through the earth, the Jews as a people were oppressed. They were a people that suffered oppression, violence, inequality, and injustice, much as we are as a people for 400 years. And as a result of their struggle and oppression, they were seeking for a Messiah, but specifically for one that can save them from the oppressions of the Romans. The Jews at the time of Christ was going through civil unrest. As I said before, much like we are today. You know, the poor were constantly being robbed. The racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans were at a boiling point. The nation was on a verge of a revolution. So they tailored their idea of this Messiah and his mission around the salvation of their people from this oppressive Roman system. But when Jesus came, he made no civil moves. He joined no civil organizations. He attended no political rallies. He endorsed no hashtags. He, I mean, he kept himself afar from the national and local freedom movements. This is not to say that he had no sympathy or whatsoever or empathy to what was going on around him because he did. He did enter into their cities. He did walk among the people. He walked freely among the Samaritans as he did the Jews. 
he gave no attention or should I say apparent attention to the national bias. He lived as if there was no issue because he knew the root of it. Consider his encounter at this Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is on a journey onto Samaria with his disciples and as he's entering the city, he thirsts and he sees a well. Now, mind you, there's some serious racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus has no business as a Jew being there, but he was there. Well, as he was there, a Samaritan woman with a water pot approaches the well, drawing water from where Christ is sitting. And Christ asks the woman to give her water to drink. That's like a black man during the Jim Crow era asking a white woman if he could drink from the fountain where whites drink from before she takes a sip. That's like a black man asking a white woman to give up her seat in the front row on a bus where all the white folks are sitting. So you can only imagine the puzzle and the offense that is on this woman's face when she hears this from Jesus. Follow me on this. She looks at him and says, you do know that Jews and Samaritans have no business speaking with each other whatsoever. Right? Let's get this straight. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're black. I'm white. You're Haitian. I'm Dominican. You're dark skinned. I'm light skinned. You're poor. I'm rich. You're a crip. I'm a blood. You and I have nothing in common. I hate your people, and your people hate my people. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who built this well? Now, mind you, you can tell how tense it's getting, but watch what Jesus says. If you knew who was asking you to give me to drink, you would have given it to me. Now here's her response. Are you greater than the person who built this well? Whosoever drinks from this well will thirst again, but whosoever drinks from the water that I give shall never thirst. And from there, her face changes. She desires the water from Christ more than the water from the well. And as she asks Christ instead for water, because at first it was Jesus, but now it's her asking him for water. And he says, bring me your husbands. He speaks about her private love life 
And she's amazed and she ends up realizing that, hey, this is the Messiah. When she finds out that he's the Messiah, she runs to Samara and talks about Jesus and invites Jesus to her city where everyone heard him gladly. Now let's pause. A Jew is invited to speak in Samara? That's like Martin Luther King being invited to speak at a KKK rally. That's like Malcolm X being invited to speak at a town hall meeting down in Oklahoma. This is bizarre. But he can do that because he knows the root. You see, it's the love of Jesus that breaks down barriers. The love of Jesus that breaks down the walls of racism and oppression. The love of Jesus that strikes at the root and not the symptoms. Christ did not ask the people to defund the SMPD. He did not attend the town hall meetings or spoke in front of the United Nations to put a halt to worldwide oppression. Jesus went into their homes and to their communities and he met them where they were because Jesus knows if he can convert one person that can lead to the conversion of a whole community. He knew that if he could reach one Samaritan, he could reach all Samaritans through that one. He knew that if he could reach one white supremacist, he could reach many. He knew if he could reach one gang member, he could reach many others. He knew if he could reach one police officer, he could reach a whole department. Jesus' priority was not in national movements, but in the natural movement of the heart. Christ began at the home. A better world begins with a better home. The disciples were astonished when they found Jesus speaking to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman, which was socially prohibited. But what he did, they couldn't do until they learned what he was trying to teach. That the issue is not with the human race, but with the human heart. A skin color does not make a man, but the character. Jesus knows he can't change a man's color. He can't change a man's nation. He can't change a man's ethnicity, but he can change a man's character. Our people, the black people, the black race that has been oppressed for 400 years needs what the world needed 2,000 years ago, and that's Jesus. Now, while Christ did this, the Jews were not so happy with his solution. They weren't happy with his approach. They hated Jesus because of his perceived passive approach. They wanted war. They wanted to overthrow. They wanted to reign and turn the tables on those Romans and show them who they really are. They wanted a Messiah that would rule, that would reign, that could free them from the oppression of the Romans. Kind of like our people today.
we want a Messiah that's for the black people. A Messiah that doesn't endorse slavery. A Messiah that wasn't created by a white man. A Messiah that doesn't brainwash us and keep us in national ignorance and playing in the hands of white supremacy. A Messiah that looks nothing like the ones we see on TV in front of Christian pamphlets, journals, and magazines. We want a Messiah that is black. A Messiah that will avenge our 400 years. A Messiah that speaks for the black lives that die and for the black lives that are constantly being mistreated and underappreciated. A Messiah that will give black power back to blacks. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you are looking for such a Messiah, you will be just as disappointed as the Jews were when the only Messiah came. There is no black Messiah because blacks are not the only people in oppression. We are not the only people who have ever been enslaved. Last time I checked, we are not the only people suffering, bleeding, hurting, and dying every day. A Messiah that is only catered to the salvation of one ethnic race is no Messiah at all. For the only Messiah came to save not just Jews, but the Gentiles. There was only one Messiah, and he came to save only one race, and that is the human race. Jesus died for humanity, not just for blacks. Now we all need to be freed from the slavery of not just white oppression, but from the slavery of addictions. Black people are suffering from the slavery of the poisons of alcohol, the delusions of gambling, the seduction of pornography, the trap of drug dealing, the foolishness of gang violence and senseless shootings. You know, we are the only race that has a culture of killing our own while canceling the accountability of finding the killer by calling it snitching. But when somebody hurts your family, you want to go out and find that person. We are in a deplorable maze as a community. We cause more harm to our own than any other race. There's more of us in our neighborhoods than there are anyone else. No one is protesting about black lives that are shot in their own homes by their own people. No one is protesting about black lives getting gunned down in drive-by shootings. No one is protesting about black lives getting killed at house parties and clubs where there are only black people. Not white officers, not white supremacists, not people in white cone-shaped hoodies, but people with the same last names, the same address, the same forefathers, the same skin color, with the same problems. 
So I know that the issue goes deeper than racism because blacks have experienced hundreds of years of betrayal, jealousy, envy, and hate from their own just as much as they have experienced 400 years of oppression from any other races. This is why the root begins not in the front of the White House, not in front of NYPD, not in the front of the lawns of police chiefs or political leaders, but in the doors and homes of our own people. The message of love, peace, and equality must begin from within. 400 years ends with what the world needed 2,000 years ago. Before you ask any other race to love your people, ask yourself, do you love your own people? Do you help a black man when he's down? Or do you talk down on him because he's not where he is supposedly supposed to be financially? Are you not selling your own people out by not snitching? Are you helping your people in their communities? Are you trying to raise a better living standard for our people through your own life? Are you mentoring black youth and taking them under your wings? Are you doing what you can to make sure we all can? If you wait until one of our own become a hashtag to speak up for our people, I'm afraid you're not doing much. Because as a people, we need help every day. Are you slandering the names of black women with inappropriate titles and calling them out of their names in the name of hip hop? Are you beefing with your own people just because he wasn't born on the same block as you? How do you come to the conclusion that one is worthy of death because of their address? How can we protest against death row if as a people, we all are in death row just because we grew up in the hood? We give death sentences to our own people. Forget standing before a judge. We're all being sentenced to death because we're wearing the wrong colors? You grew up on the right, wrong side of the block? If we don't, as a people, value black lives, you can't protest against other races that don't. Jesus met the needs of the people every day. If you want to start at the root, start at the cross. The cross has no skin color. The cross represents no national or political movement. The cross stands on no civil platform. Yet the cross has the power to reach across all people, all nations, and solve all their problems if they would just look up and live. I hope you were encouraged by this episode. I hope you were woke. Thanks for listening. And remember to stay tuned. Peace.
and love to my youth and my people. God bless.